Hello, I'm Taj, digitally known as Tropic Vibes, the host of Nifty Business, where we highlight NFTs and explore Web 3.0 as we move from pure speculation to creating real-world value. Once upon a time, over 80% of all illegal music was downloaded through LimeWire. Needless to say, they were a huge thorn in the record label side, and so much so that they pressed them with a $72 trillion lawsuit. These days, we're hearing trillion thrown around a lot as far as debts and what Apple and companies like that are valued, but we don't really even comprehend what a trillion dollars is or just trillion in general. Just to give you an example, one million seconds would be a 11 days. 1 billion seconds would be 32 years. 1 trillion seconds is 31,688 years. So we're talking about magnitudes bigger than anyone can really comprehend a $72 trillion lawsuit. Now, this was mostly symbolic and the company went bankrupt after they settled for $105 million. However, the brand has been resurrected and is coming back as a NFT music platform. Today, we'll discuss what that actually means. About a month ago, I wrote a outline as far as going to do an episode comparing peer-to-peer music and file sharing with this current Web3 and everything that we're doing in a decentralized manner. So all of this has really been around since the 1990s, 2000. However, it has been resurrected in a different form. And one of the major brands, one of the major companies that was involved in all of that is now coming back into Web3. So it's pretty funny because when I scrapped that whole thing, I didn't even think I was going to end up using it. However, once I was looking through the headlines and everything and I saw LimeWire is back, this is a perfect time to rewrite that show notes and tie it into all of that. In case you weren't around in the mid-90s or the early 2000s, most of us that were in high school at that time, the way we got our music is we would go to a records company or we'd go to a store like a Best Buy and we'd pick out our CDs and then we would go and we would listen to them with our friends and what have you. However, in the late 90s with the internet rising up, there was a platform called Napster. Napster was famously sued by Bono of U2 and all the record labels and everything. They went bankrupt. But shortly after that, there was Kazaa, Morpheus, Bearshare, and of course, the Goliath, the behemoth in the room, the biggest company of them all was LimeWire. And it was around this time in the early 2000s that digital ownership really started to take notice for the first time, way before Web3 with the whole idea of metaverse and owning land and NFTs is actually digital ownership and all of this decentralized manner. This was something that really came to the forefront in the early 2000s, what it really meant to own something. And around this time also, there was that rise of subscription. Internet was getting a lot faster so you could do a lot of different things and that's when now we started to see different music subscriptions and movie subscriptions and uh, software subscriptions all those things were really coming out during this time it was a really revolutionary period and as internet and technology was speeding up and everything was getting better it all met at the crossroads of consumption and entertainment and that's when ownership and those rights started to first come up into the headlines and into the psyche of many of us that were internet pioneers, if you will, that were going through all of this stuff because it was just the wild west and it was crazy times. 
So sometime around 2005, that's when I was in college, everyone was downloading their music from these platforms and no one was really going to the record stores anymore. And that's when you would see a lot of stores starting to go out of business and record labels were really starting to cry and saying that they weren't making money. And honestly, none of us that were around during that time had any sympathy for the record labels. And they were running ads saying that, you know, you're stealing from hardworking people. And of course, they were trying to make examples of people arresting them and hauling them out, putting them on the news so that way people would get their fear and not want to download music. That did not slow down campuses and students that were in college from doing this. And it was such a huge problem on our campus that they actually partnered with a company. I'm not 100% certain, but I think it was Rhapsody at the time. And that was when they were really launching and just starting to start up. And they were offering a subscription service where you download the music for a very a reasonable price, especially compared to what streaming is now. But then it was even discounted further as far as what they were doing because they're partnering with the university. Because with this 80% of illegal music being downloaded through LimeWire and the internet, well, it was all coming through the university's servers and it was actually bringing down computers because there were so many viruses that were attached with this. So there were a lot of incentives from the university side to stop students from downloading all of those uh, illegal files and getting viruses on it. Because what it was actually with this peer-to-peer system, it was just the wild west and anyone can literally upload any kind of files with names and the songs might not match especially with the programs it could be viruses in it and it was just absolutely crazy and during this time it was a huge problem for the university it was costing a lot of money to maintain the servers keep all of the computers connected with all of these viruses coming through the network and ending up into all these computers all over campus so it was causing a huge problem at the same time the record companies they were losing their money so they started to partner with these uh, streaming services and licensing companies for the very first time. So right now we saw that their parties were aligned. They had the same mission, but they weren't in line with the students. I remember they had this big meeting with us as leaders on campus and they were trying to get us to spread to other people. And I'll never forget when one of the people in the room asked, well, what happens after those 30 days and your subscription is up if you do not pay it? Obviously, now we understand that concept of the license expires and your device can no longer sync with those songs or whatever it might be, and they can't play anymore. So at that point, the students start to ask questions. So you mean to tell me, even though I'm paying, that I'm not going to own it? And that's where the whole digital ownership really came to the limelight for the first time for us and our generation of students and what have you. We're asking these companies uh, these questions. And that was when we realized, you know what? Even though we're paying this subscription, this does not mean anything. So what did students do? We just walked away from that meeting and we we're like, yeah, we are not promoting it. We got all this free gear. We got discount codes and T-shirts and keychains and all sorts of things. But consensus, none of us agreed to promote this to other students. We just did not want to do it because we didn't believe in it. And when you're speaking to students that are eating ramen noodles and really literally scraping on frozen burritos and uh, living on a small meager budget, their whole goals, their missions are not aligned with the university and these companies. Even though it was a reasonable nominal fee, it could not compare to downloading this for free. 
Because after all, 100 years from now, in theory, those songs would still be on our iPods or our MP3 players or or the CDs that we were burning them to. And it did not matter if we had internet connection, we paid our bills or not, we could still listen to the music. And that is what we valued more than the legality of it, if you will, or the whole thing. And during this time, too, this also was a time where a lot of software, a lot of students, and you know, not saying that I was a part of this or anything, even though the statute of limitations probably has passed at this time, but the majority majority of students, all their software as far as Microsoft Office, Adobe Creative Suite, and all of these different things were being downloaded through LimeWire for absolutely free. And again, probably 95% of all the things that were on there had viruses and there were buggy versions and whatever, but it was just a risk reward. And as broke students that wanted access to $3,000 software or whatever it might be, it was just something that the students as a whole were willing to do. And this whole Web3 space now, all of these things are coming front and center once again. And it's all about what it actually means to have digital ownership of something and the rights to something. It is really everything coming full circle and they I like to say history might not repeat itself, but it sure rhymes or old things have become new. And that really is the case. We like to think that we're on the cutting edge of this brand new stuff that has never been done before. But these peer to peer networks and digital ownerships, these were discussions that we were having as students back in 2005. So it just so happens that everything is really caught up to the mainstream and everyone really understands these concepts a little bit better now because we've had 15, 20 years of trying to decipher what all of this actually means, navigating subscription services and having licenses revoked for certain things. So now that we have these platforms such as Facebook, YouTube, and uh, people are being deplatformed and demonetized, they actually know what it means to just have the rights to use something versus having the ownership of something because even some of these things where businesses are built using subscriptions and the amount of uh, followers or likes or whatever that audience is not really owned by that creator or that business because if they are deplatformed and kicked off that's when they realize okay you know what I'm dependent on playing nice with this company and that is something that is really not valued in web 3 and that is why there's the whole thing with the central currencies as far as losing faith in the dollar and what the governments might be doing and so forth. Now, that is why Bitcoin and those things have their value. It's because it's two worlds colliding and looking at things very differently and wanting digital ownership, having the rights to uh, certain things and having access to it, regardless of what the system or the central bodies or parties are doing. And it's all about empowering the individual. That is the spirit of Web3. And in the case of NFTs, having these uh, digital rights and ownership of the different things, whether it be the pictures that we're owning or the characters, the storylines, there's comics, movies, music, all of these different things to actually know that a 100 years from now, in theory, as long as we're around and have access to the internet and the blockchain, that we will be able to say we own this and we can prove it and it's an open ledger. And that is really what we're valuing in this space. And it's more than just trading pictures. It is literally you're trading intellectual property and ownership. So all of that to say that having LimeWire come back into this space, and honestly, as far as the corporate structures and everything goes, I am pretty sure that the original company went bankrupt with that massive lawsuit. And this whole uh, resurrection is probably just the brand name, such as uh, so many companies, once they go defunct, even like Toys R Us, Circuit City, and all of those, the companies bought out. However, the brand, such as uh, Radio Shack and Linens and things, so many of them actually live on within the context of a new company 
company that assumes the ownership of the brand. And I think that's what's going on here. But what is actually important and symbolic of this, just like that whole time of all those things that I was saying that the LimeWire and the students and young people were fighting against, that's really right where we are right now. So I think that brand is relevant more than ever. If it was really the original owners and the original company and everything, I would be more skeptical and critical of this. But from all the research that I'd see, it is a fairly new team. The CEO, founder and everything has his LinkedIn page on the website. And I was looking through all the different things and it says, okay, this really seems like a completely different crew from the original founders. So this really seems like it is a brand deal or they have purchased the rights to the IP and all that just using the name and uh, whatever. But as far as decentralized music platform away from the record labels and spitting the face of the establishment, that really was what LimeWire was all about. So this marketplace that they have is going to be centered around music with independent artists and creators and actually working with them to distribute the music in a way that is very profitable and it can uh, benefit the parties, also the listeners, and cuts out the middleman, although in this essence, they are the middleman. But when I say the middleman, without the record label. So it empowers these artists and fans to connect in somewhat of a way of the whole uh, peer-to-peer network of the past. But this time, it's going to be above board. It's going to be legal. And then eventually, they're going to branch out to movies and do the same thing over there. I don't know exactly how that's going to work out, but that is in the future. But that is the goal with the music. And this whole economy, as far as this marketplace and everything, it's going to be funded by a token that they're getting ready to launch. And just as many platforms, marketplaces that are out there, with the exception of OpenSea really doesn't have its own token, but most of them, LooksRare and all these other ones, they have some sort of tokenization rewarding people for using the platform. And even the other day, a couple episodes back when I did the Nefty Blocks episode, they have the Nefty token and that really keeps that economy going, if you will. So that is nothing new. So that is what LimeWire is getting ready to do. They're going to do a pre-sale and they're going to get people on that early and then they're going to do a public sale and and the total supply of that's supposed to be a billion at this point. That is the plan that they have. And that billion, again, big numbers that a lot of people can't even uh, really fathom. But that's supposed to be distributed to the people that are using the platform and using the network. And that's supposed to really keep everything running. So I'm really excited to see how this actually turns out, where it is going. And just hearing the name LimeWire again, it's just very nostalgic, symbolic of the whole time and era. And it just brings back some memories. So hopefully... It has a positive uh, vibe as far as how they're going to use this brand because it will be seen as two ways. I know the record label is not happy to see uh, LimeWire back on the front page and their website up and running, but millennials and people of that generation that were using the platform, just seeing that name again, it just brings us right back to our school days and it is a cool thing to see again. But if you're interested in really uh, learning more about the whole LimeWire and all of that, I'm going to actually leave a link in the show notes to a YouTube video giving the whole episode of that. But it's just really cool to see that we are right back there and this whole thing is going on. But I would love to know, uh, what do you think about this episode, the way I'm formatting it, uh, that I'm actually presenting this stuff in a way that is not just talking about drops and the latest things and current events as far as some time-sensitive information as to what to do in the NFT market. I'm really presenting this in ways, time 
tie it into business world with brands and uh, a practical way that is not just about speculation, obviously, as flipping NFTs and all those different things. I'm really bridging together the offline world, Web2, and everything within this space because I am a diehard NFT collector and I'm all into this whole space right now. And I really plan to build my career and everything going forward with this. So I see all of these different angles I could come from this because I would not be going all in with this if I did not see practical applications. So that is what I've been sharing. And I would love to hear your feedback, what you think of the content and whatever podcast app that you are listening to. If you leave a rating, review and comment, and I would greatly appreciate some constructive criticism, feel free to leave it in there. Give your honest opinion. But as usual, I just want to thank you for listening to this episode, sharing it with your friends, interacting with me on Twitter. And as usual, I look forward to the next one. So until next time, later. The Nifty Business Show is not investment advice. It provides insights and information within the space. As with anything, please do your own research before making a decision whether you're making an investment or a purchase.